BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's time for Justice Matters with former federal prosecutor and MSNBC analyst, Glenn Kirchner. In today's long-form podcast, Glenn talks about Donald Trump's continued dangerous rhetoric, which is inspiring and inciting his supporters to violence. Welcome to another weekend edition of my audio podcast, Justice Matters. On the weekends, we take some time trying to air things out. We discuss breaking legal issues of the week. We try to assess what the legal terrain looks like. You know, not only the terrain on which we stand presently, but the terrain ahead. And I don't mind telling you, friends, that as a result of some of the threats made by Trump supporters against judges and against grand jurors, at this moment, I'm pretty damn angry. And as a result of that anger, I'm also pretty damn energized. Why am I angry? Well, because we have good, hardworking, dedicated public servants, and we have members of the community, citizens, who are doing the hard work of their civic duty, their civic responsibility, serving on grand juries. And we have both of those groups, both of those groups of people put in harm's way by Donald Trump and his supporters. We have both of those groups of people having their lives endangered for being public servants or for being civic-minded citizens. And this has got to stop. This has got to be addressed by the institutions of government that are empowered to address it, that are empowered to stop it. So friends, today's episode is going to focus on one thing. Donald Trump, danger to the community. You say it again. Donald Trump, danger to the community. And what needs to be done about it? What has to be done about it? You know, the two groups of people that I'm talking about, one are the grand jurors down in Fulton County, Georgia, who did their civic duty. They sat as grand jurors hearing evidence of the crimes of Donald Trump and his criminal associates, his co-conspirators, who are now his co-defendants. And what do Donald Trump's supporters do? Well, obviously inspired by their hero, you know, their deity, Donald Trump, and his dangerous inflammatory rhetoric, they publish the names and addresses and pictures of those grand jurors, virtually sending the signal out you know, to those who are aggrieved by the fact that Donald Trump is being held accountable for his crimes, they send the message out. And you know what that message is. Get him. Get him. They went after our dear leader. 
get him. You know, friends, there's no mistaking what's going on here. There's no hiding what Donald Trump intends when he posts his not so slightly veiled threats, his racist rants, his dangerous inflammatory rhetoric about his perceived enemies. He's inciting people to violence. And who are those enemies of Donald Trump? Well, let's see. They are judges. They are witnesses. They are prosecutors. They are grand jurors. They are trial jurors. And they're the family members the family members of all of those categories of people. You know, Donald Trump knows no bounds. He not only goes after judges and prosecutors and witnesses and jurors, he goes after their family members. The second group of people I mentioned are public servants. People like Judge Tanya Chutkin, the federal judge presiding over Donald Trump's criminal trial in Washington, D.C. You know the one. His criminal trial for trying to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. His criminal trial for trying to unlawfully and unconstitutionally retain the power of the presidency. His criminal trial for conspiring to rob the American people of the full value of our vote. Yeah. That's count four in the indictment. Conspiracy to deprive us of our voting rights. So for having the temerity to preside over his criminal trial, a Trump supporter, an expressed Trump supporter, an avowed Trump supporter threatened Judge Chutkin's life in the most vile and vulgar and racist rant all inspired by Donald Trump. And that's where I want to start. I want to start with the arrest of a woman named Abigail Jo Shry, S-H-R-Y. And friends, I have the charging documents in front of me. And as much as it pains me to repeat some of the language of defendant Shry's threats against Judge Chutkin, these things have to be said. Because this is what Donald Trump is inspiring. And this is what Donald Trump is expecting of his supporters. And before I read the affidavit, the, the threats that defendant Shry leveled against Judge Chutkin, let me say this. Do I take any of this personally? You're damn right I take it personally. You know, you may not know if you don't practice criminal law in D.C., right, if you're not in the criminal justice circles of the District of Columbia, but it's actually a fairly small community. I've always said that D.C. is a big city and a very small town. You know, you know pretty much everybody. Everybody knows everybody else with a couple of degrees of separation, and I think that's especially true in the criminal justice circles in D.C. You know, the prosecutors know the defense attorneys, who know the judges, who know the court staff, who know the detectives, who know the agents, who know the court reporters, who know the U.S. Marshals, who provide security for all of us in that courtroom, and on and on and on. 
And my connection to Judge Tanya Chutkin most directly comes from the fact that we used to try murder cases against each other back in the day, as they say. She was a public defender in the District of Columbia. I was an assistant United States attorney prosecuting murder cases in the District of Columbia. And we had murder trials against one another. And let me tell you this, friends. She was a smart, fierce, accomplished, tactically savvy defense attorney. And not only that, she was also entirely honorable and trustworthy. You know, I'd like to say that she was a worthy adversary, but perhaps more accurately, I should ask the question whether I was a worthy adversary to her. And you know, I don't always say that I enjoy trying cases against a particular defense attorney. You know, sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't. But what I can say is that I enjoyed trying cases against Tanya Chutkin, public defender, now Judge Chutkin. And yes, I've been in her courtroom more recently as she's presided over some of the January 6th cases. But here is how small the world is in DC criminal justice circles. Not only did I try cases against Tanya Chutkin when she was a public defender, I also tried cases against her husband when he was a public defender. And frankly, everything I just said about her, I think holds true for him as well when I tried cases against him. He went on to become first the head of the Public Defender Service Agency in Washington, D.C., and then he went on to become a D.C. Superior Court judge, and I see that just a month or two ago he retired from the bench. You know, these lawyers, these former public defenders, these judges, Tanya Chutkin and her husband, are honorable, dedicated, longtime public servants. And they don't deserve and should not have to endure threats by Donald Trump and his supporters. Okay, let's go back to defendant Abigail Joe Shry. And the document I have in front of me that I'll read from is the criminal complaint in the case of United States of America versus Abigail Joe Shry. And I'm going to read it in all of its ugliness. It's very short. It's only a couple of pages long, and I'm only going to read the operative paragraph from the affidavit in support of the complaint that describes the threats. And keep in mind that these threats against Judge Chutkin were encouraged incited, inspired, motivated by Donald Trump. So going right to the threats themselves, quote, on August 5th, 2023, at approximately 7.51 p.m., a call was received in the chambers of District of Columbia, United States District Judge Tanya Chutkin. According to caller identification on the judge's phone, the call came from the following phone number, and it lists the number. The caller's introduction stated, Hey, 
you stupid slave N. Yeah, and I'm using the abbreviation for the N-word. This is how the call started. Hey, you stupid slave N. After which the caller threatened to kill anyone who went after former President Trump, including a direct threat to kill Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee, all Democrats in Washington, D.C., and all people in the LGBT community. The caller further stated, you are in our sights. We want to kill you. And we want to kill Sheila Jackson Lee. If Trump doesn't get elected in 2024, we are coming to kill you. So tread lightly, bitch. The caller continued with their threats, stating, you will be targeted personally, publicly, your family, all of it. Those were the threats made by avowed Trump supporter, Abigail Joe Try. On the way after the break, Glenn discusses more threats to the public brought on by Trump's incendiary language. This is Justice Matters. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Authorities in Georgia are now investigating threats targeting members of the grand jury that indicted Donald Trump. How can we neutralize the ongoing threats? Here's Glenn. Okay, let's move down to Georgia. What's going on down there that's been inspired by Donald Trump's, you know, threats and reckless rhetoric, his dog whistle to his supporters? Well, here's a headline from Axios. Georgia grand jurors on Trump case face threats. Members of the Atlanta area grand jury who voted to indict former President Trump and 18 others earlier this week are facing online threats. The threats call into question the safety of private citizens engaging in civic duty while also maintaining the role of transparency in the legal process. Names of the jurors have appeared on pro-Trump extremist forums, the Washington Post reports. And I'll stop the article there and simply ask the question, how do we stop the threats? How do we address the Trump-inspired and incited violence? Well, 
Three words, pre-trial detention. And I guess if it's hyphenated, it's two words, pre-trial detention of Donald Trump. And friends, we're gonna talk about that in just a minute. Because the next topic I wanna take on is which case against Donald Trump will be tried first? We'll go to trial first and when? Now, first of all, we don't have a definitive answer to that question. However, based on a new development, we have a pretty good idea. And I strongly suspect it will be his DC case. Again, this is the one that Judge Chutkin is presiding over for his attempt to steal the 2020 election. The prosecutors in his federal case in Washington, DC, have requested a trial date of January 2nd, 2024, this coming January. And they've asked that jury selection start in December. So, you know, just a few months down the road now. Well, Donald Trump's defense attorneys were directed to file their proposed trial date with the court, and they did. You ready for this? April 2026. 2026. What's the rush, Donald? Why not April 2036? Friends, that proposed trial date is absurd. It's ridiculous. It's frankly a little offensive to any notion of, you know, timely justice for the crimes committed by Donald Trump against the United States of America and we the people. It's a trial date about two and a half to three years down the road. It's absurd, but here's the good news. What that does is it exposes Donald Trump and his lawyers as not really being interested in you know reasonable or responsible lawyering. Donald Trump's lawyers are acting like assistant campaign managers, trying to get him reelected, not really trying to have anything addressed in court, not trying to defend him in court. They're like public relations flax mouthpieces for Donald Trump. And I believe these absurd requests will have the effect of pushing Judge Chutkin to set an earlier trial date rather than a later trial date. As I mentioned, prosecutors have asked for January 2nd. She may just grant that request or she may bump it down a little further on the calendar, maybe set a February or a March trial date. But I have a feeling Donald Trump will be going to trial in his federal case in Washington, D.C. in early 2023, certainly not in April 2026. And I maintain that in his D.C. case, as well as in his other cases, Donald Trump will be tried, will be convicted, and will be sentenced to prison. Now, I'm not a betting man. You've probably heard me say that about myself. I am not a high roller. One dollar is my betting limit, but I would bet a buck, a full buck, that Donald Trump will land in prison. But the bigger and perhaps more important question at this moment in time is, 
Will Donald Trump end up in a jail cell prior to being convicted, prior to his first trial date? Well, if the rule of law is applied as intended, the answer to that question is yes. He will end up in a jail cell prior to his first trial. Let's talk about why that is. And I just wrote a piece for MSNBC Daily that tries to explain why Donald Trump has moved himself closer and closer every day to the inside of a jail cell prior to his first trial. Coming up next, Glenn has written an op-ed for MSNBC that's going viral, and it involves Trump breaking the law and violating the conditions of his pretrial release. This is Justice Matters. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. After being released by the D.C. judge and being told that the most important condition of his release was that he not commit any crimes, Trump violated those conditions by attempting to influence a grand jury witness in Georgia. Will he be detained? Here's Glenn. My piece involves the evidence that supports the assertion that Donald Trump should be revoked on release pending trial. He should be detained, jailed, pending trial. And let me just quickly go through that piece with you. The headline is, Trump seems to have already broken the most important condition of his release. If our system of justice is to retain any legitimacy, Trump's latest truth social transgression simply cannot go unaddressed. Former President Donald Trump now stands criminally indicted in four separate cases. Presently, he's on pretrial release in three of those cases, but it's more than likely that the judge in the fourth case, that's the case down in Georgia, also decides to release him pending trial in Fulton County. However, given a recent post in which Trump declared that a witness, quote, shouldn't testify before Fonnie Willis's grand jury there, the former president may be at higher risk of a judge getting sick of his bad behavior. In the federal system, there are a number of laws that guide judges in deciding when they can and or should detain a defendant pending trial. The Federal Bail Reform Act of 1966 established a presumption in favor of pretrial release. Congress then further fine-tuned the law by amending the act in 1984 requiring a judge to release a defendant pending trial unless the judge concludes that detention is necessary to reasonably assure the defendant will not flee and or endanger others. When a judge decides to release a defendant pending trial, they will set conditions of release that, if violated, can result in sanctions up to and including pretrial detention. 
Now, I attended Trump's arraignment hearing in early August in federal court in Washington, D.C., and I heard the magistrate judge say something that caught my attention. She told Trump that his most important condition of release was not committing a state, federal, or local crime while on release. If Trump were to do so, she warned, a warrant could be issued for his arrest and he could be detained pending trial. But on Monday, Trump posted something to social media that certainly could be interpreted as violating that most important condition of release. Just a few hours before the Georgia grand jury voted to indict him, the now defendant posted, quote, I am reading reports that failed former Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan will be testifying before the Fulton County Grand Jury. He shouldn't. Trump, who misspelled Duncan's first name, Jeff, went on to call Duncan, quote, a nasty disaster. Here we have Trump publicly telling a witness who he knew was scheduled to testify before a grand jury investigating his, Trump's, alleged crimes that the witness should not testify. You know, cutting right to the chase, this is Trump taking a page out of the witness tampering for dummies playbook. As is true in most jurisdictions, Georgia state law criminalizes attempts to influence witnesses. Specifically, Georgia Code Section 16-10-93, for those of you scoring at home, makes it unlawful to knowingly use intimidation or threats to persuade or attempt to persuade another to influence, delay, or prevent the person's testimony in an official proceeding. Now, I'm focusing on Georgia law specifically since Trump was threatening a witness in that state. Now, this apparent violation of Georgia state law, which would constitute a violation of Trump's pretrial release conditions in D.C., needs to be addressed by Judge Tanya Chutkin, the presiding judge in the D.C. case. Here, it's important to note that not all violations of release conditions are created equal. When a judge is notified of a possible violation of a condition of release, the federal law applies different burdens of proof depending on the nature of the violation. Specifically, 18 U.S. Code Section 3148 directs that if a person violates a condition of pretrial release in a federal case, the judge shall enter an order of revocation and detention if the judge finds that there is probable cause to believe that the person committed a federal, state, or local crime while on release. This relatively low evidentiary burden of proof stands in stark contrast to the much higher burden of proof, clear and convincing evidence that applies when a defendant is to allege to have violated any other condition of release short of committing a crime. To say that defendant Trump has received different and far more favorable treatment in his criminal cases as compared to other defendants is an understatement. 
He stands indicted in four separate felony cases spread across three jurisdictions, both state and federal, and yet there has not even been a hint of any consideration of pretrial detention. For a man who is criminally charged with unlawfully retaining classified documents, obstructing justice, violating our nation's espionage laws, and seeking to thwart the peaceful transfer of presidential power. And now, Trump adds to an already distinguished criminal resume by allegedly attempting to influence a witness in apparent violation of both state law and the conditions of his pretrial release. You know, friends, it has often been said that witness tampering strikes at the very heart of our criminal justice system. If our system of justice is to retain any legitimacy, then Trump's latest transgression simply cannot go unaddressed. This is only the beginning of a convoluted and lengthy process of justice for Donald Trump. Those involved have a responsibility to apply the law equally, without fear, without favor. Otherwise, his brazen flouting of conventions, not to mention laws, may only get worse. And that, in turn, will make the path toward justice even murkier. On the way, if you think Donald Trump's selection interference trial should be televised, Glenn reminds us to help spread the word. Don't go away. Many people feel Donald Trump's criminal trial in Washington, D.C. for his attempt to steal the 2020 presidential election should be aired live on TV. Glenn again reminds us how we can assert our right to watch it live as it happens. Okay, friends, I want to finish up with this. And this is a topic I've spoken about previously, but I think we need to stay on top of it. And I'm actually in the process of reaching out to a number of nonprofit organizations that are involved in litigating in the pro-democracy arena, including litigating you know, whether insurrectionists are disqualified from holding public office, courtesy of the 14th Amendment, Section 3, which says insurrectionists are disqualified from holding public office. Seems like a no-brainer to me, right? Of course, the devil's in the details. How do you go about proving that members of Congress incited, engaged in, assisted, or gave aid and comfort to an insurrection? How do you prove it up so the disqualification clause of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment kicks in and kicks out of Congress the folks who, you know, the available evidence suggests absolutely engaged in insurrection. Several of them asked for pardons, presidential pardons, because they knew they had committed crimes on and around January 6th, and they desperately wanted to get away with those crimes. Folks, we have insurrectionists in Congress. They should be kicked the hell out of Congress because they are disqualified 
courtesy of the Constitution, from holding office. Okay, but I digress. That's not where I was going with this. I want to circle back to the rights that we all have as voters. The rights that we all have as a result of being victims of Donald Trump's crimes, specifically the crime in count four of his indictment in Washington, D.C., the crime of conspiracy against our voting rights. Did you know that when you're a victim of that crime, there's actually a federal law that gives you rights, legal rights, statutory rights. It's called the Crime Victims' Rights Act. And again, if you're scoring at home, it can be found at 18 United States Code, section 3771, 3771. I urge you to look it up. It's very short. It contains 10 rights that we all have as a result of Donald Trump engaging in a conspiracy to deprive us of the full value of our vote, a conspiracy against our voting rights. We are the victims of Donald Trump's crimes. And as a result, we have legal rights, statutory rights. And if you read the Crime Victims Bill of Rights, which is informally how the CVRA, the Crime Victims Rights Act, is referred to, the Crime Victims Bill of Rights. And I want to focus on two of the 10 rights. The first one is right number one on the top 10 list, the right to be reasonably protected from the accused. Anyone here feel reasonably protected from Donald Trump and his vile, vulgar, racist, dangerous, threatening rhetoric and rants? I don't. And yet, we have a federal statutory right to be reasonably protected from the accused. You know how that right should be implemented? He should be detained pending trial. Simple. And the second right I want to talk about, number three on the list of the Victim's Bill of Rights, is one that I've mentioned before. It is the right not to be excluded from the trial. The right not to be excluded from the public court proceedings. Friends, we have a statutory right not to be excluded from Donald Trump's criminal trial in Washington, D.C. And the only way that right can be implemented is if there are cameras in the courtroom. So we can watch it and we can listen to it for ourselves. So we can have our legal, federal, statutory right not to be excluded from the court proceedings honored and fulfilled. You know, this is a no-brainer. Cameras being allowed in the courtroom. If the U.S. Judicial Conference, headed up by Chief Justice John Roberts, simply allow cameras in the courtroom. But you know what? If they don't, then I contend they are violating our federal rights. They are violating the federal law that says victims are not to be excluded from the courtroom. You know, 
we have to be able to see it. We have to be able to hear it, even if only virtually. And if Chief Justice Roberts says no, I contend he's violating the Crime Victims' Rights Act by excluding us from the court proceedings. Now, at the moment, I'm on the front end of reaching out to some organizations that might be interested, might be willing to take on this fight, this litigation with me to enforce the rights of crime victims, the victims of Donald Trump's crimes when he conspired to deprive us of our voting rights so he could steal the presidency. And I'll circle back to this topic and I will update you all on the progress that I'm making. Hopefully I'll make some progress of trying to bring some folks into the fold who are willing to take on this fight. But for right now, for today, I'm going to sign off. I'm going to wish you all a wonderful weekend and a great week ahead as we continue to watch what develops on the legal landscape as we continue to move in the direction of accountability and of justice. Because, you know, I've heard it said that justice matters. Friends, thank you for spending some time with me today. Please stay safe. Please stay tuned. And I look forward to talking with you all again soon. For more on Glenn, go to Glenn Kirshner 2 on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. This is Justice Matters.